Hello, friends. Welcome to the Christ and Coffee podcast. My name is Hai Kerlopian. We have Jeremy Tokmasian, and our guest today is Matt Bennett, founder and CEO of Christian Union. Christian Union is all about creating leaders, discipling leaders, creating that generation to lead uh, the body of Christ. They are a campus ministry as well, where they have uh, ministries on all the Ivy League school campuses. Uh, Matt, it's a real pleasure to have you join us today. So welcome. Hi, thanks so much. It's really great to be here. It's a pleasure and glad to spend this time with you guys. Uh, we started this podcast about uh, 40 episodes ago, uh, beginning with the church calendar, and we're going to come full circle as we're reaching Holy Week again. Um, we're about to enter into the season of Lent, and uh, when I first met you, Matt, I remember uh, you were on a fast, and I remember being upset, kind of a little arrogantly on my part, because I was expecting to have lunch with someone, and like the Armenian hospitality in me felt really guilty to even go out for lunch, <laughs> knowing that you were going on a fast. And I gave you this, like, I felt like a jerk now in retrospect, but I was like upset at you for not giving me the heads up about fasting. No, it was my fault. I should have let you know. I, some people you meet up with and be it for a meal or whatever, and they're used to folks who are fasting, but a lot of people, probably most people aren't. And so I, I should have uh, thought about that and let you know ahead of time before we're meeting up. So um, it obviously doesn't bother me for other people to be eating if I'm fasting or visiting or doing something, but uh, I should have let you know. So uh, you're gracious later when you apologize for it. It's no big deal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was also a lot, not, a, not a short fast either. It wasn't like a, like a day fast where you could get away with it. It was, you're doing a, how long of a fast was it or? I, it might've been a 40 day. And so with, with situations like that, I, I don't, I still have social things. Obviously, if you go 40 days with no social stuff over meals, you're kind of getting disconnected. Right. And that's when so many people connect. So I'll still meet up, but, uh, um, uh, and uh, have devoted prayer times other times in the day, but uh, want to stay connected with people and what's going on and that sort of thing. So yeah, the Lord has had me do a number of longer fasts, shorter fasts. I really believe it's such an essential part of the Christian life. There's a lot more to fasting than the Christian life for sure. But uh, it's part of it, and I want to be faithful to it. Yeah. Matt, you know, there, there may be some uh, listeners here who are really familiar with fasting and some for whom it's kind of a foreign concept. So could you maybe just uh, open up kind of broadly with uh, just a general understanding of the significance of fasting in the Christian life, maybe situating it in, in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and what we're looking for when we are engaging in that spiritual practice? Yeah, it, it really is helpful for one's spiritual walk. And I praise God for it because I need it to help me to be stronger than I otherwise would be. And it's uh, been part of the Christian tradition forever <clears throat> from the very beginning. And uh, we know from reading one of the first century Christian documents, the Didache, that Christians fasted Wednesdays and uh, Fridays. You know, it's interesting. Many are familiar because of that passage about the, um, the two people go to the temple and the Pharisees is, uh, says, hey, thank God that I'm, you know, I fast mm -hmm. twice a week and I'm not this guy. And, and pious people in those days did fast Mondays and Thursdays. But uh, the reaction of the Christians was, hey, let's not be like the hypocrites. That's what they call the Pharisees. But they knew they needed to fast. So they fasted Wednesdays and Fridays instead of Mondays and Thursdays. <laughs> So their answer was not to stop fasting. Their answer was to say, we don't want to be associated with that. But unfortunately, in the modern West, our answer to that parable is like, oh, it must be wrong to fast. Oh, it's legalistic. Mm -hmm. They did not understand that for the first, I don't know, 700 years of the church. It was a universal practice. Everybody did mm -hmm. it. 
It was absolutely mm. consistent. And of course, so many traditions through history continue to do it. The international church uh, fasts regularly, and uh, it's, it's really key. It's, you know, the source, the reason why we do it is that it helps us self-humble. And uh, we, we know that humility brings more of the Lord's presence. It brings us closer to the God whom we love. And so it's, it's such an important part of that, of helping us to self-humble. Certainly, mm -hmm. we could be like the Pharisees if we weren't, uh, if we we're proud and we, we, we are not interested in self-humbling. But for the person who, who generally wants to draw close to the Lord, it's really essential. Hmm. So, so one of the main tenets of fasting is this self-humbling. It's just this giving up of, of food. Um, what, what, what else do you find during this journey of fasting? Like what, do you, what else does fasting do, like practically speaking, for your spiritual walk? Yeah, it's really wonderful. So many places in the Bible, the Lord tells us, humble yourself, humble yourself, humble yourself. Nowhere is there the example of us asking God to humble us. Only do we have examples of God commanding us to humble ourselves. Well, the number one way in the Bible where it's mm. told how we humble ourselves is to fast. There are other ways to humble ourselves. But from the very beginning, and you look at uh, Deuteronomy 8.3, for instance, and it says, um, and he humbled you and let you hunger. Um, wait, let me... Uh, look at the passage here so i can get it just right it's um it uh from the very beginning with the israelites this is what the lord did and then you see this example again and again uh so here um deuteronomy 8 3 i pulled it up and he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the lord and of course, we know that Jesus quoted this during his 40-day fast. And so fasting, by helping us humble uh, ourselves, helps us to know in a deeper way than we otherwise would that everything we have comes from God, that we're mm -hmm. dependent upon him for everything. And mm -hmm. we learn that by, by reading the, the Bible, but we also learn it by engaging in, in fasting. And uh, it's this, it's what does it is deprivation. Any time in the Bible when you see a deprivation of a person, then you can see it can have a humble effect. Like the apostle Paul talks um, in 2 Corinthians 1.9, he says um, he was experiencing all of these afflictions. He felt that they had received the sentence of death, but he said that it was to make them rely not on themselves, but on God who raises the dead. And so there you see the physical afflictions had that humbling effect on him. And so fasting is the same thing. But fasting is something we do to ourselves. We're not going out there looking for ways that we can have some sort of affliction on our life, like Job experienced. That definitely humbled him. But uh, and it's it's a great gift to the West because we don't have as many deprivations as people in the rest of the world. We have pretty good health care. We have adequate food and shelter and these different things. And so for those who have an abundance like the West, I believe fasting is more essential than ever which is ironic because the West fast, fast less than anybody in the rest of the world, whereas we need it more than anybody else because we don't have uh, nearly as many deprivations that help humble us. Mm. Yeah, it's funny. Just as you're, as you're saying that, one of the things that strikes me is in the West, we've, like, we've commercialized fasting. I, I don't know if you've heard of some of these diet trends and things like that, where if you uh, you know, if you go without food a certain amount of time, you like jumpstart your metabolism and things like that. And so it's another example of how we've taken something and kind of bastardized it and turned it into something, you know, something, uh, 
totally unlike what it was meant to be in the beginning. But um, yeah, it was. It's interesting that you bring up this idea of manna in the wilderness from Deuteronomy, reflecting on the, the wilderness experience and connecting fasting to that wilderness experience, both with Jesus and Israel. Um, it's interesting how, at least in the Armenian church, every Sunday we sing the Lord's Prayer, the higher mayor, um, for those of you who are Armenian and who are listening. Um, and, and obviously part of the prayer is give us this day our daily bread. So there is something that's kind of anticipatory when you come to church on Sunday morning. Like yeah. there's an assumption that you have been kind of prepared by this fasting process. I think even the Armenian Orthodox Church um, encourages their congregation to fast before they show up to the service yep. uh, right. as if to as if to take the bread from heaven and the Eucharist and say okay we've been given the gift of God here um, so fasting is as you're saying it's really this way to prepare yourself and humble yourself as you enter into the, re the receiving of God's grace and the reflection of God's care for us um, it prepares us for it um, yeah. and, and I wonder I wonder just for you personally on a spiritual level, like, was there a moment when fasting became more, like, more uh, important in your spiritual walk? Or, like, was there a moment where, like, a light bulb turned on and you're like, I need to, I need to engage this practice more and, and begin starting? Yeah, it was, I'd studied the issue just a little bit, but didn't really know what I thought about it didn't just, you know, was this something that was just legalistic or not needed or, you know, you get all these views that are out there. Right. And this is before the, the internet back in these days where you can look things up easily. So I, uh, I didn't do it much at all, if ever, but then uh, Bill Bright, I was working for Campus Crusade for Christ, now crew in the nineties. I was a minister at Princeton university and he was calling people to do a 40 day fast. Now, interesting, he had changed his view because I remember reading one of his books where he had said previously, he says, hey, I learned in the Christian life, you don't need to beg God for things or torture yourself from fasting. You just need to ask in faith and that sort of thing. But obviously he had a change of heart. And that was kind of part, I, I kind of tucked that away. It's like, oh, is that what fasting is? Or it's not needed. But then he changed his view. And, you know, I, I talked to him personally about it. And for him, it was his broken heart over abortion in the United States and the need um, for that just to end. And so he began doing an annual 40-day fast called many uh, Christian leaders across the nation. This was like 92 or 93 or something uh, to, to join with him. And many were influenced by this movement, wrote books on it. And so I did a 40-day fast. It was like the summer of 94 or five or something like that. And then six months later in December, the Lord gave me a dream. And in those days, I didn't get many kind of revelation from God. Now it's more common, but um, in it, the Lord more or less told me, do another 40 day fast and I'll bring revival to Princeton. And, uh, you know, I had asked people, I didn't know in those days, many people who had these kind of experiences. And so I had to figure this out. This is really from God. And so I, I did a second 40 day fast and it's exactly what the Lord said over the next three, four years, the ministry exploded, came about 10% of the student body at Princeton, a lot of amazing, miraculous things happening, people coming to faith. And so praise God, it was, um, you know, in, because of that dream, the Lord uh, confirmed to me how important it was to, um, to draw closer to him and as a tool to help us draw close to him. Mm -hmm. So that was the beginning, I suppose, uh, of fasting and very extreme, I, I guess you would say, two 40-day fasts in six months. But uh, it's what the Lord called me to do and um, very, very thankful for 
we're beginning um, a lifestyle that way. Mm-hmm. Praise God for that. Um, can we break down the mechanics of it? So there's various types of fasting. There's um, there's like strict water fast. There's juice fasts. There's this. And there's that. And as Jeremy said, there's a lot of like uh, trendy fasts that are actually diets and not fasts. And <laughs> and discerning whether or not you're actually taking a diet uh, or or actually <laughs> fasting. Um, but but can you just explore like sometimes you you throw you say the word fast is is it implying just no, just water or is, or there's, there's variety within those fasts or there's multiple avenues of, of fasting? Yeah, and I'm glad you asked. It's an important subject. It's, it's interesting. The Greek word for fasting and the Hebrew word both mean, both mean to be hungry. That's what it means literally, to be hungry. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's a, it, which makes a few cases, we're not exactly sure if it meant fasting because it can be translated as somebody was hungry, not that they were fasting per se. Mm. Fasting means to go without food for spiritual purposes. Now, the, the Anglo-Saxon word fasting, it means to refrain. So it gets a little confusing because sometimes people today will say, I'm fasting from Facebook. Well, it might be exactly what the Lord's asked to do, but in the biblical definition of the Hebrew word and the Greek word, it is not fasting. But it doesn't mean it's not necessary. And there are other times in the Bible where you see people refraining from things which God commands for spiritual reasons, even though it's not a fast. So we have the example of a husband and wife refraining from intimacy for a while for the purpose of prayer and drawing close to the Lord. It's not a fast in the biblical sense, even though someone might use that term today. Also, even we have examples of selective eating in the Bible, like we have the Nazarite vow. In number six. And so in that, as you remember, you're not supposed to eat anything from the grape. You're not supposed to eat grapes or wine or grape juice or anything, but it's not called fasting, even though it's for spiritual purposes, you're withdrawing from that. And even a famous fast, I put that in quotes in Daniel 10 is you have Daniel for three weeks going without choice foods and, uh, and wine. Now it never uses the word fast in that context, even though other places in the book of Daniel uh, it is, the word is used, um, uh, I mean, in the, in the Hebrew, that is, the, the Hebrew word for it. So technically, I mean, it's not called a fast in that passage because uh, it's, it's not a fast per se, although it was something the Lord asked someone to do for spiritual purposes, to ref- only eat certain kinds of foods and not other kinds of foods. So you can see this kind of gets a little confusing. Even then, when you start having foods, it's like, okay, or what you drink or eat, then, okay, what is it? And what's key about it is that you're going without food and that you're hungry for parts of it. And scholars believe that these longer fasts in the the Bible, unless it says otherwise in the Old Testament, that they probably ate one meal a day. So for instance, Nehemiah, who it says he wept and mourned and uh, fasted, he did it for 120 days in in Nehemiah chapter one. You've got to add up the months because it says the month, the Hebrew calendar that he began and then when he ended. So only if you do the math, and look at the months, you know, it was 120 days, but most likely he was having dinner, let's say, in those circumstances. Whereas you think of that, there's two fasts in Esther, but the most famous three-day one, they say explicitly they're going without food and water. So generally you can think of fasts as either probably one meal a day or sometimes without food and water. And I think people can do um, fasts of like low calorie or no calorie juice, as long as it's inducing hunger of some way then I think we're saying we're doing a fast, even though there might be some selective eating 
program, the Lord, you know, giving up desserts for a month. So you can draw, that might be exactly what the Lord has asked you to do. But in a technical biblical sense, it's not fasting. But the way we might use the word today, someone might call it fasting. It's, I just, as, as you've been going through some of the, the different moments in scripture where fasting is cut, the volume on fasting is turned up. It seems like it's always some sort of like liminal transitional moment for the people of God. Like it's a decision being made or a rededication or a looking for direction and wisdom. So does that play into this, this spiritual discipline of fasting, like self-humbling and preparatory openness to God, reflection on God in that time of hunger so that we can kind of look for new direction, new wisdom. Have you found that to be true in, in your yeah. experience with fasting? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it sounds I, like it with your Princeton experience. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, you know, there's, I think of fasting in two ways in the regular fasting, like the Wednesday and Friday. And they also had some regular fasting practices during the time of the Old Testament, like when they were in exile, they would fast certain days and months kind of remember and there are other uh, the day of atonement uh was a fasting day so they had the regular aspect just in the calendar and then also of course these special situations that you're referring to jeremy which are so key and uh and and the lord wants us in those times to really energetically draw close to him uh mm -hmm. for uh, a result for power for freedom for release for different things and so it's so closely connected to these things and as you guys know it doesn't mean the lord's automatically going to answer you have king david who fasted seven days that his child would live his child did not live and then you have someone like king ahab who was a wicked king and judgment was pronounced against him by isaiah and the lord was so impressed uh the lord said look what my servant did i mean the lord was amazed even though he was such a wicked king and he says i'm not going to bring the judgment in his life but after he goes so it's incredible the mercies that God will have for us when we self-humble. Again, it's not the fasting itself, but of course the humility that's coming out of that when we fast. And so there are a lot of examples of increased uh, outpouring of the spirit, like in Joel after the fast. And then we see that in the New Testament as well. We see that more answers to prayer. We see that. Now I know um, Hike, uh, Pastor Hike uh, ministers in this way. When I'm doing healing or deliverance ministry, uh, there's noticeably more power when I'm fasting. And if there's a special situation that I know a, a spe specifically hard case, there's actually a woman here in New York who I had one meeting with and we're scheduling another one. So uh, she just has a lot of demonic presence in her life. Uh, I mean, she was very much manifesting last time, growling and thrashing around. It was that serious. Um, so we need, to, we need extra power when we meet with her. And so fasting helps with that. Actually, a funny story, uh, and Hike, you know this friend, Paul, he was ministering uh, to a friend here in New York, and uh, the demons were coming out, but this one evil spirit uh, was very stubborn, and he, he says to, to our friend Paul, he says, says sorry, uh, through the guy's lips, he says, sorry, I only come out through uh, fasting, and then Paul, who had been fasting at the time, was fasting, says, I am fasting. In the name of Jesus, come out. And that demon came out of the guy. I wish I could have been there to see it. Sounds amazing. Yeah. So just, again, anytime like we say something, we always want to back it up with scripture. And Jesus says this after the disciples are having difficulty casting out a spirit from the young, young boy uh, who's having also seizures. Um, that's due to the demonic activity. Not saying all seizures are due to that. Um, but... Uh, he says, pray 
and fast. That's why you couldn't do it. And I like there's so many biblical, so much biblical scholarship where they're reading into this, that, this, this, this. Maybe it just means what it means. Just just try praying and fasting a bit more, so you have yeah. more authority to to help this 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 young man. So um, yeah, that's so right, so true. It uh, it releases power. Prayer does, fasting does, other things. Of course, reading the scriptures renews our mind, gives us a better understanding of the mind of our Lord. So a lot of these things have sort of been just uh, underutilized in the West. And comparatively, we have little power uh, by the Spirit in our ministries in the West because of it. And uh, I'm very much a student of not only revival history, but also the international church. I've uh, really appreciated going to other countries and seeing where they are experiencing revival. And unsurprisingly, fasting plays a big role uh, with that. Mm. For instance, a year and a half ago, I was in the Fiji Islands and going, they, they've been uh, holding these in, in kind of revival situations in all these villages. They have about 1,200 villages there. And this group of Fijians called the Healing the Land Team, they're just like the spiritual SEAL Team 6 of, of the Christian world. And once a village, and they all have churches already, but they have three or four churches in their village and usually about 400 people in the village. They say, okay, we, we have all these afflictions. We have all these problems in our village. So many people are addicted to alcohol. There's so much division, all these different things. It says, can you, you know, help us? And they say, okay. So they get them on the calendar. The first thing they do is for two weeks, they have the Christians in the village meet every night to pray. And then the healing the land team back at their base, 25 of them, they're fasting and praying like crazy. I mean, they're just fasting and praying and they're praying all night around the clock, 24 hours, praying for two weeks. And then when they arrive uh, there for the next two weeks, the people take off work. And for two weeks, they're calling them to repentance, to seek the Lord from, from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. I mean, this is all day. I mean, this is, this is fantastic. They uh, confront people, fathers who are not Part of their homes uh, going into their homes or left their families i mean they just kind of do everything and then at the end of that time and meanwhile at, at night the second two weeks the the villagers will go to bed but the healing the land team is staying up all night fasting and praying i mean they take shifts but it's just like incredible and the spiritual power that's released is unbelievable so much so that you tell people the stories and they don't believe it i'd heard stories for decades but going there and meeting all the villagers face to face and they'll say, yeah, I went through the, we went through the process 20 years ago. We did it 15 years ago. We did it uh, two years ago. Uh, other groups, like, we're going through it right now. And all the healings that happen, all of the uh, people free from alcohol abuse, the unity, the joy, the peace. And the most remarkable part about this, I find, is a literal application of healing the land. We think of Second Chronicles 7.14, uh, in that um, the land... Uh, and the seed dramatically change immediately in their fruitfulness because mm -hmm. these are agrarian people they get their fish from the sea and sell it to the resorts and when they grow crops but they show us for instance the yams they say here are the yams they're this big you know like a foot and a half and says uh before we went through this process they were half the size but it's the same seed and the same ground mm -hmm. then they go over and they point us to trees and they say these trees used to bear fruit intermittently now they never stop bearing fruit uh, breadfruit trees. I mean, it's just on and on. And in two villages, they even had coral reefs right off the water come back to life. So I could tell lots of stories, even maybe more spectacular in terms of that. But fasting plays such an important role in all of that. And after the team leaves, they set up the people with a new spirituality. And that includes Wednesdays, they call it a second Sunday. 
and they fast and pray on Wednesdays. They take off work <clears throat> and they fast and pray till 3 p.m. And then they'll meet all together at night for two and a half hours for worship, all the Christians there. So fasting just plays such an amazing role for outpourings of the spirit and radical spiritual change. Mm. And uh, we need that in the West. We need it. I just read uh, Richard Foster's The Celebration of Disciplines, and he talks about fasting in the book um, as one of the main disciplines. And he talks about how John Wesley wanted to make sure any new Methodist minister would do that two-day fast. They would fast two days out of the week, um, break break the fast for dinner. So they'll fast during the day and then break it at night, going back to the early church, as you we were saying. And uh, just imagine if, if that was the last big revival, right? I mean, there's different variants of it, but it was one of the, the major great awakenings of this country. And the leadership there was, was fasting. <laughs> yeah, so true. He would not ordain other Methodist ministers to ministry if they didn't fast Wednesdays and Fridays, as you say. And uh, he was one of the four leaders of the first great awakening, his brother Charles, but there's also George Whitfield. He had a very rigorous fasting schedule. And then so did Jonathan Edwards. And so you see these leaders throughout the world, present day and in history, and fasting was a dynamic part of their uh, spiritual lives. So they could be used to the Lord to the extent to which um, they desire. So, so there's this humbling aspect of fasting. And then oftentimes when people talk about fasting, the first thing they usually quote from scripture is in Sermon of the Mount, where Jesus is saying, um, like, don't, don't act like you're fasting or make a big deal of fasting. It's like the opposite of humility. Um, any practical advice going back to the beginning of our conversation? Like, if you're going on a fast, how do you talk about it in a manner that's not prideful? Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think, I think it's helpful in the Sermon on the Mount to compare it to prayer, because in that same passage, the Lord says the same thing about prayer. Right. And we feel pretty comfortable talking about prayer. I'm going to a prayer meeting or us praying about this. But of course, it can be done in a boastful and appropriate way for people to say how righteous you are. I mean, what matters there is the heart. And uh, if uh, you're saying and doing these things for the wrong reason, you still need to keep doing them. You just need to repent of the bad reasons for it. So I feel like we need to be just as free as talking about fasting as we talk about prayer. I think we... I feel like we have a generally healthy attitude towards prayer. I don't, I think that we know that we shouldn't do it for the wrong reasons, but we also don't self-censor ourselves. It's not like we'll say, we'll never tell a per person that I was praying about this because we're afraid that maybe they'll think we're boasting or this sort of thing. So I feel it's the same for fasting. And obviously we know from the scripture, since it talks about fasting from A to Z there, people knew about it. So uh, it needs to be talked about a lot more in my view, because if we don't ever mention it, people won't know it's part of the Christian life. And it needs to be just as regular as praying. It needs to be as regular as having our devotions. It needs to be regular as everything. But of course, uh, not boasting in it. It's part of like the Christian tradition for as far back as we can remember. I mean, like it's reaching back even into the Old Testament, right? And so you've got Old, New Testament, early church, the, the church fathers and, you know, the monastic movements on the fringe during the more imperial christianity of rome and it's like it's there it's all throughout and yet for some reason actually i'd be curious to know if you have any hunches or thoughts like where it took the turn to suddenly become this lost tradition in the church you know or this lost spiritual practice because it is it's so rooted deeply in the christian tradition and in scripture i mean the sermon on there's an argument to be made that the sermon on the mount is like the 
<laughs> the teaching of Matthew's gospel. It's like supposed to set the table really. And it shows up, you know, fairly regularly. I mean, it opens up with a beatitude on those who literally hunger and thirst for righteousness. Right. And there, there are, you know, there are tones of fasting to that, like craving and desire of, you know, righteousness with God and our neighbor. But, um, yeah. but yeah, all that is to say, like, if it shows up so prominently in scripture, in church tradition, in the historical documents of our faith, and you know, where did it go? <laughs> where did yeah. we lose it? Yeah, it's, uh, and you think of the scriptures too, what Jesus says, and when you fast, do it like this. Right, right. Um, and he says, uh, and he also says, well, why aren't your disciples fasting now? And he says, well, when I go, then you will fast. So he, he regulates and tells us how to fast. So, of course, and, and as mentioned, the church fasted, and you see the Apostle Paul fasting. You see Acts 13, 1, when they're all together praying about the first missionary journey, they're praying and fasting. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. So it's all always part. And yeah, and in the West, I mean, evangelicalism and those four people I mentioned a moment ago, they all fasted, and they're the founders of evangelicalism. So what happened to it all? And in my view, a couple of problems. One is that we got lazy and weak and comfortable and complacent a sin a deep self-indulgent sin has come over the west i think we have a, a very deep problem with self-indulgence and being lovers of pleasure instead of lovers of men i think this relates to our prayer lives as well as fasting and other things mm -hmm. so that's afflicted us a lot and then i think also it's a misunderstanding of the gospel mm -hmm. i uh this one a young man who graduated from seminary he even told me that he had learned in seminary a good seminary that as you look at these passages in Second Chronicles, as you know, in Second Chronicles, you have all these episodes of these kings. They get into different, they turn to God, they pray fast, repent, and the Lord delivers them. And so you see this theme multiple times through Second Chronicles. Well, he said he actually learned that, hey, isn't this wonderful that we don't have to do this anymore because Jesus has done it for us in the gospel. <laughs> so they needed to do all that, you know, works and, and going after God, the humbling, the, the fasting, the prayer and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus has done it all for us. Mm. And it's obviously a misunderstanding of the gospel. Mm. And I actually joke with a, a friend, Hike, uh, um, you know him, uh, Chuck. We call it the gospel, gospel perception, uh, uh, perspective, which is uh, obviously a wrong understanding of the gospel. And that is that the gospel takes care of it. So we'll even sarcastically <laughs> say, Hey, no need to go to the grocery store. The gospel has done it for you. Prayer, no need. Gospel is taken front of it. Everything. Yeah. You just sit there. You're fine. Get yeah. up and take care of your kids in the middle of the night if they're screaming. No need. Gospel's taken care of it. Yeah. I mean, it's really absurd the way it's presented in a lot of contexts mm. today. Um, I think many are trying to emphasize the, the specialness and the extraordinary nature of the gospel, which of course it is, but we can't misrepresent it. It doesn't mean we no longer need to seek the Lord. What it does mean is that as we seek the Lord, we can expect more of his presence than ever. And that's, of course, what we've seen in history. That's mm -hmm. why we have church of maybe a, a million people in the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea. I mean, we have extraordinary things that have been happening the last 2000 years, because as we do seek the Lord with the same diligence as under the old covenant, we get so much more outpourings of the spirit and miracles and um, radically change lives. And in the case of Fiji, uh, more fish and uh, different size uh, um, agriculture products. I mean, it's incredible. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, I know the Armenian tradition, um, 
you, you call it Bach, like the sacrifice. We call Lent sacrifice. And Lent's coming around the corner. Um, it's going to be next Wednesday for those who are listening. And I think this is a great opportunity to kind of reclaim the church tradition of using this time to pick a fast, whether it's a 40-day thing or a couple of days. This is a great opportunity for us to uh, focus on the fast, knowing that at the end of the fast is the resurrection and knowing that Jesus is the complete completion of of everything we desire and what God is doing for all of creation. Um, and it's interesting, the Armenian tradition tends to do like a Daniel fast during the 40 days. It's like, a, I, I, cause I love that clarification. It's more of a diet, we shouldn't call it a fast, but, it, but it, there, it's important to do things like that as well. Um, and, uh, but it, it, it's been marketed uh, like the Daniel fast specifically, there's all these websites, there's all these books you could buy um, which is great. I mean, if it gets people to be obedient, but I, I think there's this commercialization too, that goes with the pride of it, um, that we have to also be aware of and also discern if this is a diet or is this actually a sacrifice right. to humble myself. Right. I, um, one of the things I really appreciate about how the Western church calendar situates Lent is, so it ends with resurrection, but it begins with transfiguration this Sunday. So there's a kind of bookending of, of Jesus's um, revelation or Jesus's uh, divine status or, you know, basically from beginning to end in the middle of this journey of Lent, there's this reminder that, that God is with us in Christ and that he's on this journey, like this way of Lent is, is in fact god's way to new creation and new life and so i just appreciate that about the church calendar the way it sets the table again so to speak is um you start with transfiguration you go through this journey of lent through the holy week and passion and then come out the other side on uh easter resurrection faith uh, ascension and and um pentecost so anyways we've already done the calendar year stuff but well, we're, we're that one little, calendar year with this drop that one talk. little plug back in that's right um, but yeah, and then the 40 days symbolic of the 40 years in the wilderness, dependent on the manna um, and 40 days of Jesus fast. And I mean, a number 40 pops up everywhere in scripture. Mm, um, yeah. so there's this important symbolic language there. Um, I had a professor who used to say that if you come across the number 40 in the Bible, you know, there's certain numbers that seem pretty big. You don't want to get too big, like too heavy into the numerology of every little thing. But 40 seems to be the, the number of, uh, of obedience of transition of being taught the wisdom of god like learning the, the the way of god um so 40 40 days you know 40 years whatever it might be it's this season of transition and learning and and discovering what god has for you in that moment so um yeah so lent in our church year is is the is the time for that kind of reflection and spiritual journey to to be recommitted it doesn't have to be then <laughs> like as we're saying it it can be at whatever point in the year you want to do it but that's a moment in the church year where we pause to say hey we're all on this journey together for this moment yeah we're all in the wilderness together yeah anticipating yeah. resurrection life yeah amen and you know back to the sort of diet or health aspect of it i because of the the craze of intermittent fasting the last three to five years or so I've dived more into the health aspects of it, and of which there are lots of health aspect um, benefits to fasting, which mm -hmm. praise God, he knew that from the very beginning. Uh, and it did change, it changed my fast because like when I did those 40 day fasts, you know, back in the nineties, when I first started, 
I would have them be a fruit juice fast or a fruit juice and maybe once in a while a V8 because I'd get headaches if I didn't have, maybe it was a sodium and I don't know what it was. But I've since learned that um, that amount of concentrated sugar isn't good for you. Mm. So now when I do a, a more liquids only fast, I'll just do a kind of a zero calorie liquid. So I'll do tea and I'll do maybe these buy drinks or something that have no calories or something like that. I'll, I'll, I'm, you know, I'll put like a tiny bit of cream in there. So I'll be a little bit coffee or something like that. Of course, water too, but I don't want to take in that much sugar. Oh, you know, day after day. That's the only thing because that can damage one's liver. So uh, that much fructose, fructose is the problem. So it's, it's good to, um, to live and learn. And so I, the way I see it is if I'm fasting for spiritual reasons, I might as well do it in a way that uh, improves my health and doesn't hurt my health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any recommendations for anyone maybe thinking about fast, but like what if someone struggles with an eating disorder or their health is not quite there? Um, with other health issues, uh, any like words of wisdom there? Because I, I think sometimes, like I remember talking to someone who was struggling with an eating disorder and they were saying they, they, they wanted to fast. And I said, you shouldn't be fasting. You need to overcome, you need to seek help. Um, and they spiritualize their problem. Yeah. Um, I just remember a specific case back back in the day. Any any wisdom to the, the health responsibility and fasting? Yeah, I think that's wise. I, I think we got to be very careful about that with people who've struggle with eating disorders in the past, I, like you, recommend them to be extremely cautious about it, maybe only with a friend, only as they work through it. Even if they worked through it years ago, who knows, maybe it'll trigger something. Mm. I don't know. Mm. So I recommend they talk to a counselor, a therapist, and uh, so that this is managed carefully. Because you can see how someone who may be used to being anorexic or something could kind of spiritualize and use the fasting as the way to justify, you know what I mean? So you're absolutely right. And there are some other health conditions besides the therapy issues that can hinder people. And I know some people who are like that. And, uh, and it's good just to go to the Lord and say, Lord, I really can't do this and help me to humble myself in other ways. Help me to uh, benefit from what fasting could do for me in another way and see how the Lord can help um, in that. I, I think you're, I think it's very wise to be cautious about it. And of course, even if you are healthy, if you haven't fasted much, then uh, there's some good guides online and different things. My favorite book on fasting is by Derek Prince. He's got a couple of books on fasting. I think they're very good, uh, but there are a lot of good books out there. Jenison Franklin, he has a book on fra- uh, fasting, which I like. And yeah, to be practical about it, don't, don't do too much of a shock to your body. Maybe work up to it over time, do a one day fast. And then over time, if you want to do a longer day fast, uh, just uh I think it's good to think about working into your life long term and not kind of solve the whole fasting thing once and for all right now for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, that's what I recommend. Oh, wonderful, Matt. Uh, I would love to have you back on and talk about Christian Union specifically and all the wonderful ministry you do. But uh, this is a wonderful conversation about uh, fasting as we enter Lent. Um, I encourage the listeners now, if, if you feel led to just start with something small, again, baby steps and incorporate this practice since your life just like prayer is a part of your life reading the scriptures a part of life fasting needs to be part of our life as well um, whether it's twice one one meal a week or two meals a week um, it really helps because uh jesus says when you fast make sure your motives are pure um yeah. but but that the, the like you said matt it's quoting so many scripture verses to just back up uh the importance of this as obedient disciples 
so thanks for watching and Matt, wonderful having you on. Um, Jeremy, good to see you, my friend. Uh, thanks for joining us during this warm coffee hour and uh, have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Oh.